Hi, this is Sarah McCaslin for the Forgotten Sheep podcast. And in this podcast, we're going to talk about one of my favorite uh, old-time evangelists, British evangelist Rodney Gypsy Smith. Now, he got the name Gypsy because he was an actual gypsy. He was born in 1860 in a gypsy bender tent. His dad was Cornelius Smith, and his mother was Mary Welch Smith, and her nickname was Polly. Now, Rodney was the last of four girls and two boys. Now, the way their family made a living is that his dad uh, made tinware, clothes pegs. Uh, I think we kind of equivalent to clothes pins, but it doesn't have the uh, spring in it. And he was good at making baskets and could recane chairs. Now, his mother's um, part in all of this is she would sell the things that his dad made. Now, they had a happy, happy little family for, for a while until Gypsy's mom died of smallpox when he was just five years old. Um, his oldest sister became ill with smallpox, and that's how all of this started. And his dad didn't know what was wrong with her, but he knew she was sick. So his dad took uh, the wagon with the family to the doctor's house. And the doctor called the girl to the door of the wagon. He wouldn't go in. And he took one look at her and he said, it's smallpox. And he told Gypsy's dad, you need to leave town immediately to keep this from spreading. We've got to keep this contained. And so their dad took the family's wagon um, took it outside of city limits and set up a tent for the mother and the healthy kids. And then the dad took the wagon with the sick daughter further down the road, but within earshot and within their line of sight. And his idea was he was going to take care of the sick girl and the mother would take care of the kids that were well. And smallpox back then, it was very, very serious. We are very fortunate to live in the time and place that we do where we're not susceptible to smallpox. Well, the wagon became the daughter's sick room, and her dad was her nurse, and he loved his family dearly. Cornelia Smith loved his family. Well, two days later, the doctor comes by to see how the girl is doing. And saw that another one of the children had developed smallpox. So they moved that sick child to the wagon. And now the dad was nursing two sick children. Well, if you can imagine being a mother. And your children are sick and you're quarantined from them. Now what they would do is she would fix food for the whole family. And then take it kind of to a halfway point between the tent and the wagon where the sick children were. And she kept getting closer and closer to the wagon when she'd take the food. She couldn't bear that her two of her kids were sick and she couldn't help them. And so she kept getting sicker and sicker, venturing closer and closer until one day she became ill with smallpox too. And his mother was also pregnant at the time. 
Well, the wagon was moved back near the tent, and Gypsy's dad was caring for the two oldest children and now a pregnant wife who was also sick with smallpox. And she gave birth within a few days of being diagnosed, but the baby didn't survive. And Gypsy's dad, Cornelius, he was more than distraught. He was almost frantic. He loved Polly. He loved her more than anything. And they had even been childhood sweethearts. And there was nothing that he could do to save her. Well, knowing that his beloved little wife, Polly, was dying, Cornelius asked her if she believed in God. Polly said yes. And he said, Polly, have you tried to pray? And she said, yes, Cornelius, I'm trying. But while I'm trying to pray, it seems as though a black hand becomes before me and shows me all that I've done and something whispers, there's no mercy for you. And Cornelius knew this was a lie. He knew there was mercy. The reason that he knew this was that he had been falsely imprisoned and spent time in jail. And while he was in jail, a prison chaplain came by and dealt with him and taught Cornelius the way of salvation. And even though Cornelius himself hadn't gotten saved, he knew what his wife needed to do. And so he began to talk to her. He told her what he knew about Jesus Christ. He told her that he knew there was mercy for her. And he said, if you look to Jesus, believe that he died to save sinners just like you. And one of the interesting things about this, guys, is that gypsies did not own Bibles. And here Cornelius knew so much about the way of salvation, and it was because of a prison chaplain, because of a prison ministry. And... um. That time that he heard the gospel was during that three-month prison stint when he had been falsely accused. And we can see the Lord moving and working something that seems so terrible that you would be falsely accused and placed in prison. But because of that, Gypsy was able to hear the gospel message. And as a result of that one chaplain's working with Gypsy. Gypsy, I'll, I'll give you a preview. The whole family gets saved. And Gypsy's dad, because of that, that minister working with his dad, Gypsy got saved, and he grew up to be an evangelist and went all over the world. But it started, it can be traced back to a man being falsely imprisoned and a prison chaplain telling him, how to get saved. Well, as he told his wife, Polly, everything that he knew about how to get saved, faith, faith took hold in Polly, and she threw her arms around Cornelius and kissed him. And when she did that, Cornelius sensed that she wasn't long for this world. And he was so distraught in his heart that he had to excuse himself and he went outside the wagon and he wept because he knew that his wife was going to be leaving him. 
And after he regained his composure, not wanting to be upset in front of his wife, not wanting to be upset in front of the children, she called him back into the wagon. And she had one request, which he agreed to before she could ask. And she said, Cornelius, be a good father to the children. And he said yes, but then he had to go back outside the wagon again to get his composure. And he heard, he heard Polly begin to sing. I have a father in the promised land. My God calls me, I must go to meet him in the promised land. They had never been to church. People didn't want gypsies in their churches. And he said, Polly, where on earth did you learn that song? And she said, well, when I was a child, my dad pitched our tent near a church. And the children going into Sunday school were singing that song, and that's where I learned it. Now, I love this, because the way that it turns out, the Lord used this song for someone who had no personal knowledge of the Bible. But he used it to take away her fear of dying and to assure her that her kids would be okay. The kids she was leaving behind would be okay. So, and I, I just want to reinforce this. So many times we try to take the Lord and force him in a box. That you have to pray the sinner's prayer. That you have to have read the Bible. You have to do these different things. The Lord works in many different ways. And here, and again, this is something that some people wouldn't like to think about, but an unsaved man led an unsaved woman to God. An unsaved man, he hadn't accepted Christ as his Savior. He knew how, but he had never done it. But he was able to lead his wife to Jesus. And the Lord saved that woman on her deathbed. And I know there are some Christians out there that have issue, that take issue with deathbed salvation. Well, you know what? The Lord doesn't ask us what we think of these things. The Lord does as he sees fit. And we see a wonderful act of mercy as the Lord saves Polly on her deathbed and then he gives her assurance that when she dies she will go to heaven and he gives her peace about leaving her kiddos behind and I think that is just that's just wonderful the miracle that we see the Lord working in that gypsy family a people that by their very color of their skin by their very ethnicity, were considered rechecks by most of British society. But you know what? The Lord doesn't care who rejects us or who accepts us. We are what we are in the sight of God. Well, at the time this tragedy was going on, Gypsy, who's going to grow up to be an evangelist, was only five years old. And his mother did pass away shortly after uh, she came to know the Lord. And he said as he grew up, he would be upset because he couldn't remember her face. 
and that for the rest of his life it seemed like the loss of his mother defined much of who he was. Well, he said, and this is so neat, guys, one of his last memories of his mom was of her praying. And he said during his mother's last hours, his dad was just torn up with grief. And Gypsy and his sister Tilly would wander up and down the lane wondering, I guess, wondering what was going to happen, wondering how their mother was. They couldn't go directly into her because they didn't have smallpox yet and they couldn't afford to spread it to the other children. Well, suddenly, his older sister, who was sick with smallpox but still concerned for the family, called out of the wagon that their mother was gone. And Gypsy said that he fell on the road like somebody shot, crying uncontrollably and grieving. Little five-year-old boy grieving because his mother was gone. And Gypsy said that grief never totally left him. He stated later that even in his man's life, there was times when he so wanted his mother. Well, because they were gypsies, they were not allowed to bury their mother in the daytime. It was against the law. Again, more of the discrimination against the gypsies. So they had to bury their mother at night. And by this time, the older children had recovered enough from smallpox that the little family was reunited. And their dad had to clean the wagon, disinfect the wagon, cleanse it of sickness as best he could while the kids prepared their mother's body for burial. And their dad had put all their possessions in the family's tent while he disinfected the wagon. And before they could bury their mother, an unattended fire caused that tent to catch on fire, and that fire just flashed into an uncontrollable inferno, an uncontrollable fire. And they lost all their possessions except the wagon and the clothes on their back. So in the same day, the family lost their mother and they lost all their possessions. And Gypsy said sparks were flying from that fire all around their mother's coffin. But they were so grateful to the Lord that it didn't catch on fire. And then when darkness fell, because again, they had to wait until dark to bury the mother. The mother and the baby were buried side by side. Now, Cornelius was, of course, the dad. He was so torn up with grief and so empty. And so to bury his grief and to make money, he turned to fiddling. And he added to that drinking. And he would take little Rodney, Gypsy, with him to the pub. And he would play his fiddle and then Gypsy would dance. And then after Gypsy had danced for a while, they would take up a collection. However, during the process, Cornelius would try to be friendly and he would start drinking. And one thing that added to Cornelius' grief was that he hadn't gotten saved. And he had been under conviction ever since his wife Polly had. 
But Cornelius said it seemed like every temptation that came along, he'd fall for it. He'd fall right in it. And he said he didn't know what to do. And he, he even if he had a Bible, he couldn't read it. And churches did not welcome gypsies. And he just felt lost. He, he, he would say to himself, Cornelius would say to himself out loud, I don't know how to be good. And Gypsy heard his dad saying this. And he would lay his hand upon his heart. Cornelius, the dad, would lay his hand on his heart and say, I wonder when I shall get this want satisfied and this burden removed. And the kids would hear him, and they'd hear him weeping and talking, and they were afraid that they were about to lose their dad, too. And then one day, as it so happened, Cornelius ran into his two brothers on the road. So we now have the three brothers together. And he opened up to his brothers, and he told them about the burden on his heart. And you know what? His two brothers told him they'd been struggling with the very same thing. Well, the three brothers decided that they were going to go to church. And so they headed off, and they stopped at a beer shop along the way. Well, it turns out the lady that ran the beer shop was also under conviction. And so when they began to tell her about their situation and their feelings, she began to weep and said, I am somewhat in your case, and I have a book upstairs that will just suit you, for it makes me cry every time I read it. So she goes upstairs, and she comes back down, and in her hand is a copy of John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. And she opened the part where it talks about Pilgrim standing before the cross, and the burden of sin fell from his back. And as she read that part to Cornelius and his brothers, the three brothers and the lady at the beer shop all started crying. They all started crying. And so on Sunday, those three brothers, again, determined they were going to go to church whether they were wanted there or not attended the Primitive Methodist Chapel, and they attended three times in one day. Now, that tells us quite a bit. Number one, it tells us that Primitive Methodist Chapel must have not minded gypsies coming. And it tells us, number two, they must have been feeling something there if they kept going. Well, during the evening service, the pastor goes over to Cornelius and says, Sir, are you saved? And Cornelius wasn't saved yet. And somehow he had gotten it in his mind that he had to feel saved, to feel first and then believe. And you know, this is, this is just so like human nature. Cornelius was able to lead his wife to the Lord. He knew the way of salvation well enough to explain it to his wife and her get saved. And yet he hasn't gotten saved yet, even though he wants it, even though he knows in his mind what needs to take place. He still gets confused, and he's still not saved. Well, that night, Cornelius had a dream. He dreamed he was traveling through a rugged country over all kinds of rocks 
and boulders and thorns and briars. And as he looked down, his hands were bleeding, and his feet were torn up from the rocks. And Cornelius was utterly exhausted and worn out in his dream, and he finally just collapsed on the ground. And as he was there on the ground, he saw a person in white raiment approaching him. And this person reached out to take hold of Cornelius' hands and lift him up. And when this person reached out, Cornelius saw the scars in his hand where nails had been driven through. And he knew that in his dream, this was Jesus. And he said that figure in white held his hands out for Cornelius to see. And he said, I suffered this for you. And when will you give up all and trust me and I will save you? And Cornelius said he woke up. And so he prayed when he woke up. He prayed the Lord would direct him to some place where he could learn how to get saved. And the Lord answered that prayer. He found a man that was mending a road and he stopped to chat with him. And Cornelius told the man what he was going through. And the man leaned on his shovel and looked at him and said, I know what you want. You want to be converted. And there's a meeting tonight in a mission hall on Latimer Road. And I shall come for you and I shall take you there. Well, that night, Cornelius got every, got his kids all settled in and was ready to head to that meeting. And he told his kids, he said, tonight, I am not coming back until I've been converted. Well, all this time, we still have Rodney Gypsy Smith, the little boy. And he's thinking, oh, no, my dad has lost his mind. I better go with him to keep an eye out for him. So Gypsy goes with his dad to the meeting. They get to church. The man from the side of the road that was repairing the road kept his promise and came and got Gypsy, took him to the mission hall. And at the church, the people were singing, I do believe I will believe that Jesus died for me. And as Gypsy heard those words, faith finally took hold in his heart. And he was born again and he stood up and said, I am converted. And Gypsy, little Gypsy is there. He thinks, oh no, my dad has finally lost it. All sanity is lost. I'm going to go on home. It's useless me staying here. Well, now the next part that I'm going to, this next part comes from Gypsy's book. And this was what his viewpoint as a kid He said, when my father got home to the wagon that night, he gathered us all around him. And I saw at once that the old haggard look that his face had worn for years now was gone. And indeed, it was gone forever. And his noble countenance was lit up with something of that light that breaks over the cliff tops of eternity. And I said to myself and wondering, What marvelous words these are, I do believe, I will believe that Jesus died for me. My father's brother Bartholomew was also converted that evening, and the two stopped long enough to learn the chorus, and then they sang it all the way home through the streets. And father sat down in the wagon as tender and gentle as a little child. 
and he called his motherless children to him one by one, beginning with the youngest, my sister Tilly. Do not be afraid of me, my dears. God has sent home your father a new creature and a new man. And he put his arms as far around the five of them as they would go, kissing us all. And before we could understand what had happened, he fell on his knees and began to pray. Never will my brother, my sisters, and I forget that first prayer. I still feel its sacred influence on my heart and soul. In storm, in sunshine, in life and death, I expect to feel the benediction of that first prayer. And there was no sleep for any of us that night. And Father was singing, I do believe, I will believe that Jesus died for me. And soon we learned it too. And morning when it dawned, found my father full of this new life and this new joy. And he again prayed with his children, asking God to save them. And while he was praying, God told him that he must go to the other gypsies that were encamped on the same piece of land and all about twenty families. And forthwith he began to sing in the midst of them and told them what God had done for him, and many of them began to weep. And turning towards his brother Bartholomew's van, he saw him and his wife on their knees. The wife was praying to God for mercy, and God saved her there and then. The two brothers, Bartholomew and my father, then commenced a prayer meeting in one of the tents, and my brother and eldest sister were brought to God, and all thirteen gypsies professed to find Christ that morning. Now, I realize this is supposed to be a story about Rodney Gypsy Smith, but we have to talk about what his dad went through, and how his dad was saved, and what was going on with his dad, in order to really understand what ends up going on with Gypsy. So, turns out that Cornelius and his two brothers, his other brother, had gotten saved. They began an evangelistic work among the gypsies. And they started out by visiting their parents, who were in their 70s. And their parents were born again. And then they visited an uncle who was in his 90s. And he, too, accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. And so they started holding meetings, and it would start with Cornelius playing his fiddle, who was then joined by his kids, who would sing hymns and Christian songs. And after they gathered a good-sized crowd, which for them was about 300, Cornelius and his brothers would begin to preach. And this would result in the first time that the Smith family came in contact with William Booth, founder of the Salvation Army. The Smith brothers contacted William Booth, let him know about what the Lord had done for them and what they were doing, and William Booth encouraged them to keep working and suggested they hold a week of meetings at Portsmouth. Well, the Salvation Army uh, joined forces with the Smith brothers and helped to advertise the meeting with their usual flair. The Salvation Army in those days always did everything with flair. And they put up signs for the Gypsy brothers indicating that three converted Gypsy men and their hallelujah fiddle were going to be there. Well, that one week of meetings turned into six weeks of meetings. Then they headed off to another city, 
But all three were arrested. All three brothers were arrested for parking their wagons by the side of the road. Oh, such awful criminals, huh, guys? Well, they were arrested, so they witnessed to the policeman, the jailer, and the jailer's wife, and anybody else that would listen. And they were sentenced to 14 days, but someone paid their fines for them. And you almost wonder if maybe it's one of the guards that got tired of hearing them preach. But they were, they were released. And when they told the story at their next set of meetings, it created additional interest to draw more people to the meetings. Well, the following Christmas, Christmas time came and Cornelius didn't have any money. And he said he was so tempted to take his fiddle to a local pub and play for money so he could provide a good meal for his kids on Christmas. And he struggled with this. And it wasn't that it was something for him. It was for his kids. And he said the Lord gave him a song. And I remember hearing my mom sing this song. In some way or other, the Lord will provide. It may not be my way. It may not be thy way. But yet in his own way, the Lord will provide. And a few minutes after that song came to Cornelius' remembrance, there was a knock on the wagon with news that there were goods for him to pick up in town from an anonymous donor. And so the Lord provided a way for the Smith family to have a good meal for Christmas, just as he had promised Cornelius. Well, it would be hard for Gypsy to be in this atmosphere of preaching and singing Christian music and gospel hymns for his dad's meetings and all of that without the Lord dealing with him. And that's exactly what happened. Little Gypsy... I, probably he's not so little at this point in the story, but he tells about one evening when he was sitting on a tree trunk near his dad's wagon. And he said he had gone there just to think because he was under conviction. And he began to think about his mother in heaven and his father and his uncles and his siblings who had gotten saved. And he's sitting there and he said to himself, Rodney, are you going to wander about as a gypsy boy? And a gypsy man without hope? Are you going to be a Christian and have some definite object to live for? And he answered himself out loud and said, By the grace of God, I will be a Christian and I will meet my mother in heaven. And Gypsy said he knew, he knew at that instant that he was saved, but he failed in a major point. He didn't tell anyone. And because of this, he didn't feel satisfied in his heart. And shortly after that, he went to a church meeting, and an elderly gentleman there put his arm around Gypsy and began to pray with him. And this elderly gentleman is not a Gypsy. Well, Gypsy told the elderly man that he had given his heart to God, and the elderly man understood and he gave him the scripture and said to him, You must believe that he has saved you. To as many as received him, to them gave he power to be the sons of God, even to them that believed on his name. And Gypsy said at that moment he put his full trust in Jesus Christ. 
and he felt the peace he had been looking for. But this time he went home to tell his dad. And he got to tell his dad that he too had been converted. And his dad was pleased and he said, Gypsy, how do you know that you're saved? How do you know that you've been converted? And Gypsy placed his hand on his heart and said, Daddy, I feel so warm here. And Gypsy said later on that he had gotten a little of that feeling that the disciples had when they had been talking with Jesus on the way to Emmaus and said, Did not our hearts burn within us? Well, Rodney is going to follow his father into the ministry. He's going to take a little bit different path. Um, He joins the Salvation Army in 1877. But he only stayed for about five years. Now, I've talked about how the majority of gypsies in England could not read much less write. Um, We can thank co-founder of the Salvation Army, Catherine Booth, for helping Gypsy to learn how to read and write. It was during this time that he was in the Salvation Army that he married his lovely bride and convert, Annie. And Annie and Rodney were quite successful in in the assignments that the Salvation Army gave him. And the corps, or the churches they were assigned to, saw membership rise to hundreds and then to thousands. Uh, There are some interesting details about Gypsy and the Salvation Army and about why he felt that a Gypsy just didn't quite fit in the Salvation Army. But we'll talk about that in part two of Rodney Gypsy Smith. So I hope you enjoy this podcast and thank you for listening.